You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Hey, that's all right. Praise God. We are here in church. It is so good to, to worship with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Luke. If you were wondering who this guy is that's starting to talk up here and with, about random stuff. But we... We have a fun morning. We have a lot of stuff going on. I, I love any, any time that we get to celebrate baptisms together. That is a celebration of life. It's so much fun to see. Hey, amen. Some other people are excited too. It's so much fun to see what God is doing and what he continues to do. Now this morning, if you have your Bibles with me, go ahead and turn to Genesis. Um, and uh, we, we are going to continue our, our walk through the book of Genesis. That's what we do as a church uh, here at Anthem. We typically take one book of the Bible, we walk through it week by week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we see what would God have for us through this, through this book. And, and what we've been looking at in the context of Genesis, kind of the title that we've given this, this series is Introducing God. Introducing God. And, and through Genesis, is, uh, if you've been with us, if you missed last week, go online, go on the website. Todd did a great job of talking about Cain and, and, and God's pursuit of Cain. And it was a, uh, just, it's just a beautiful story. But what we've been looking at, we've been looking at the creator God who spoke and things happened. The creator God who, who said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. Let there be fish, and there was fish. He, the, the creator God who spoke and things happened, but also the creator God who, who got his hands dirty by creating mankind. And, and we see how, how all of this happened. And I, I don't want to spend time recapping everything, but basically what we're looking at, as we see these things, we get to see more of who God is. And why that's so important is because when we begin to understand that God is the main character of the story... Not, not us. When we understand that the Bible is, is not, we, we aren't the center of the Bible, God is. And when we understand who God is, then we can understand how we are supposed to live our lives. How we should view the things that, that we come in contact with, the things that happen to us through the lens of who God is. And this morning what we're going to be looking at is we are looking at the, the flood. Genesis chapter 6 and 7. If you, uh, if you, you know, if you're new to church, Genesis, very beginning of the book, don't go too far, you'll miss it. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles we would love to get into your hands, so make sure you don't leave without, without getting a Bible. We'd love to give you a Bible. What we're talking about this morning, again, is the flood, Noah's Ark. Now, when you think of the flood, when you think of Noah's Ark, um, I'm going to test, we'll see if we have slides up. Yeah, do you guys, what do you think of? Is this, I mean... Is this kind of aw, right? Yeah, we, I mean, we think of things like this where it's, it's kind of like a, a pleasure cruise for animals. That's, that's what we see. And Noah's kind of the happy captain waving at the zebras. And for some reason, there's only one lion. Maybe it's like we, don't, we only need one of those. I, I don't know. I, maybe they're too scary. But when we think of Noah's Ark, when we think of the flood, we think of things like this. We think of if you've grown up in church, maybe you think of uh, uh, what's this song? Uh, God told Noah to build him an arky, arky, God told. Hey, yeah, there you go. Build it up with children of the Lord, right? Yeah, there we go. You guys got it. And that's what we think of, though, when we think of Noah's Ark, when we think of the flood, we think of these, these nice songs, when we think of these nice pictures. 
Guys, do you realize the reality of what we're about to look into is that this is the second most wrathful thing that God has ever done in human history? I mean, this is, this is genocide on a worldwide scale. <laughs> and what we do with it is we sanitize it to the point that we put it on the walls of our nurseries. I mean, God is, God is judging the world. He kills everything and everybody except for eight people. And I mean, he, this is crazy. And we sanitize it to the point that we sing, sing little songs about it. And we, we look at it and it's like, oh, they're all happy. Everybody died, right? I mean, it's like, if you would have, I, I, let's not get too graphic, right? We could, we could go graphic with the story. But I wonder, I wonder when we think about this and when we think about the story that we're about to get into, I wonder if the reason we do this, the reason we sanitize it to this point is because ultimately we don't know what to do with a God who would do this. We're talking about introducing God. What do you do with a God who decides to flood the entire earth, kill every living thing, except for one family. We don't know what to do with that. So because we don't know what to do with it, we make it palatable. We sanitize it. We take the sting out of it. And yet the reality this morning, what I want us to see is that when we look at the flood, when we look at Noah's Ark, what we see is a God, we are introduced to a God who passionately hates sin. And on the other side of that, we are introduced to a God who passionately loves sinners. Amen? That's that's what I want us to see this morning, that God is a God who passionately hates sin, but he passionately loves sinners. So let's let's jump into this. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 6. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Let's, let's pray. God, I, I praise you for your word, even the hard parts, God. Um, I praise you for it, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to comprehend this morning. Give me words to say, Holy Spirit, just let me, let me speak what you have for me, and it's in your name. Amen. All right, the first thing that I want us to see as we, as we look at this passage, as we get into this story, is that the, there's just a couple things. As we think about, again, the kind of the big idea is we see a God who is passionately against sin, passionately hates sin, but passionately loves sinners. The first thing that we see is, is man is increasing on the earth, which, again, if, you, if you've been here for very long, you know that the very first commandment given to Adam and Eve was multiply, fill the earth. Well, that's happening, and yet because of sin, because of the brokenness in mankind, what they are now filling the earth with is corruption. They've decided to go their own way. They've decided to to call what they see good, good. And they've decided to go their own way. And this is what we get. And yet what we see is God saying, my spirit will not contend with man. His his days will be 120 days. Now, 
when we see this, oftentimes what I thought before, honestly, before I really studied this out, is that God was like, oh, people are living too long. This is ridiculous. I mean, because if you read, if you read in the beginning of Genesis, like Adam lived like 900 and something years. Like that's a long time. Can we just say that? That's crazy. That's a long time. Right, and, and these people were living all, and so what, what I thought was God was like, oh, people are around too long. I'm going to limit that, 120 years. Let's just, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is this has gone on too long. The state of affairs, where we're at, this has gone on too long. And he says, I'm going to start the doomsday clock right now. 120 years is all we have left, left until judgment comes on the earth. You see, the, the reality and the, the reason I think this is important is because oftentimes I think that we, we look at God as, uh, I mean, we, we think about how he reacts to sin. And either we look at him as a God who's just way too easily angered and just flies off the handle at everything that happens. Or we see him as a God who, you know, kind of winks at sin like a grandpa to their grandchild and is like, hey, you better not do that. Like a, like a passive parent, um, like my, uh, a, a friend of mine. When I was up in Iowa, we had them over for supper one time. We were playing games with them. And at the time, they had two little kids. And they were, their kids were kids that were, like, little but big. You know what I'm saying? They're, like, five years old but are, like, have the bodies of, like, 15-year-olds. And so they're, like, they're just, like, little giants that don't know their own strength. And they're just bumbling around. And, and <laughs> that sounds bad, but it's true. And, and so we were sitting around at our, at our table playing games. And their kids were jumping on the backs of my couches. Big kids jumping on the backs of my couches. And I'm just kind of looking at this situation like, what's going on? And so he, I, he turns around. He's like, hey, you better stop. You stop it. Stop jumping. Stop it. I'm serious now. Stop it. Okay, I'm going to count to three. Anybody have this? Okay, one, stop it. Stop it. Two, okay, I'm serious now. Two, stop it. Stop, stop it. Stop. Two and a half, right? I mean, it's like, and he gets to three. He's like, three, now stop it. And then he's, oh, and he just turns back around, keeps playing the game. They keep jumping on the couch. I'm like, do you want, I can, do you, do you want me to spank your children? I mean, <laughs> might be awkward, but... See, God isn't like that. God isn't some parent that just, that just winks at sin and then looks the other way. What we see here is that sin has an end date. Sin has an a, a ultimate destination, and it is death and destruction. And so what we see in this passage is God is saying, this is, this is not going to last forever. And what I want you to understand is that as you flip your page from the page of your Bible from, from chapter 4 and 5, to chapter 6, we have just spanned almost a 1,000 years between Cain and Noah. Almost a 1,000 years. So this isn't like just, you know, five years down the road. This is a long time. God's patience with his children is, is so apparent. In 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10, I don't know if we have it up on the screen, but 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. He's saying, look, God isn't slow like we think of slowness. He's patient. He's waiting. He's loving. He's, he's reaching out to sinners, sinful, sinful people, and saying, come back to me. 
Come back to me. Stop calling things that I call evil good. Stop doing that. Come back to me. And his patience oftentimes is seen as slowness, but it's not. It is love to his people. The, the other thing that, that I want us to, to see, kind of the elephant in the room when, when, if you've ever heard somebody preach on this passage before, is like, what is the deal with the Nephilim? Have you ever read through this? And it's like, what? What is that? That we, we see, we see uh, sons of God, daughters of men, they're intermarrying, they're having superhuman babies, and, and all this stuff is happening. And, and the question is, what? There's a couple different things that I think that we could, we could say about this. There's, there's two main uh, possibilities that I think is happening here. The first one is that, that this is actually describing fallen angels intermarrying with people. This is, this is actually demonic forces looking at the, the people that God has created saying, oh, yeah, okay, I see you, right? And, and, and they're, they're interacting and, and they're, they're having sex and they're, they're making these superhuman babies and, and all this stuff is happening. And that feels crazy, right? It seems weird, but we see evidence of this in Jude uh, 6 and 7. It says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So they're talking about these angels that have, been, uh, have had judgment placed over them. And then he goes on to explain why in verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So what we see here is it's describing these heavenly beings who left their position and decided from, from what they saw and said, that looks good, I'm going to go and do that. That looks good, I'm going to take and do that. They left their position. Now, the, the problem I have with this, I, there's, there's a couple different problems as you're sitting there thinking, are you actually saying that, that demons? And there's, there's a few problems with that. Let's just admit that. The, one, one of the biggest problems I see is in Matthew 22, 30, when Jesus is talking about the resurrection, he says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, when we read that and when you think about the fact that angels are heavenly beings, are spiritual beings, the question is, well, how can they have physical uh, interaction? How can, they, how can they have babies? How can they do these things? I don't know. That's, that's the easy answer. But it seems as though that that's a possibility, and the Bible leaves it open to that. The second possibility, though, is that the sons of God might be used to describe the line of Seth and the daughters of men being the line of Cain. Now, what we just, what Todd uh, taught about last week is Cain, the first, uh, firstborn of Adam and Eve. We all know that story where Cain, thinking that this is going to be the one to deliver us. This is going to be the son that God has given us. This is going to be the one that's going to crush the serpent that deceived us in the garden. And yet he rose up to crush his, his brother. And God pursued Cain and, and, and offered him forgiveness and offered him salvation, offered him redemption, and yet Cain left the presence of God. And we see the line of Cain after that point just devolve, and, and it got worse and worse and worse. And yet then Adam and Eve had another son, Seth. And it says that when Seth was born, people began to, to seek God again. And so you have these two lines. And it seems as though a possible explanation for what's going on in Genesis chapter 6 is that the line of Seth, this godly line where all the hope is wrapped up, in, up into it over the course of almost a thousand years, looked at the line of Cain, the ungodly line of Cain, who was seeking not God, but their own, their own good, their own means, and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to follow God anymore, I'm actually going to follow this over here. 
R.C. Sproul Jr., um, he says this about it. I like this quote. He says, the great change, what creates the great downward, downward spiral of humanity on the earth is that the two lines come together as one. That is, the godly line of Seth, the sons of God, seeing how attractive are the daughters of men, the wicked line of Cain, decide to take them as wives. The end result, however, isn't mere dilution. He's, not, he's saying this isn't like good people just got a little less good. He's saying it's not merely dilution. It's not that the now joined line becomes morally lukewarm, but that evil spreads, grows, deepens. This shouldn't surprise us, as, for, as Chuck Swindoll reminds us, if you drop a white glove in the mud, the mud doesn't get all glovey. Don't you like that? You drop a white glove in the mud, the, the white glove doesn't affect the mud, the mud affects the white glove, and, and so the... This could have been what happened. Here's, here's what I think, okay? You can decide. <laughs> I, I don't think this is an area where we should get dogmatic about what, should, what happened and, and build a theology on, yes, angels can have sex with humans. And, like, that's not what the author is saying here. That's not what he's getting at. What he's getting at is the bottom line is that we see people or beings leaving their proper station, leaving the place that God had prepared for them to flourish in and grow in and become all that God intended them to be in. They left that and decided to go their own way. It says they looked and they saw that the, the daughters of men were, were pleasing, and so they took them, and, and it, it, it said they looked. It's the same sin of, as Adam and Eve, where they looked at the fruit and saw that it was pleasing, saw that it was good for food, and what they did in that moment was they said, you know what, I, don't, I know what God says. I know what God has commanded, but this looks awful good, and so I'm going to follow this. And when people are left to call evil good, left to their own devices, to follow their own ways, what we find is destruction. What we find is death, and yet even in that, we see another sign of God's love for people. Because God let, the, how long did God let this go on for? Pop quiz? I said it earlier. Almost a thousand years, right? Some of you are like, when did you say that? You got to stay sharp. Almost a thousand years. God's allowing this to go on. He didn't just, he isn't just waiting up in heaven like, I can't wait till they mess up. Come on, come on, somebody, boom, done. I, you know, like, he's not waiting. He's, he's patiently going after his people. He's patiently pursuing sinners. He's offering salvation to them. And yet there is a time period where that ends and judgment comes. Let's, let's keep moving. Verse 6, and the Lord regretted that he had made the man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's, let's stop there. Now again, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard passage, right? Because not only do we see these crazy things happening, these superhuman beings, all this stuff happening, but again, underlying purpose is that they called things God called evil good, and they went their own way. Okay, don't, don't let me lose you in that. But then we see God saying, I'm sorry that I made them. I am grieved. We see, we see this, this emotion coming from God, and yet also we know in Scripture that God does not change. So is God just having a fit? Is God just like, oh, 
fine. Like, like when your kids have just gone, you know, they're on your last nerve. And, you know, like my favorite line from It's a Wonderful Life, best Christmas movie. We talked about that once. But uh, like, where it's like, you call us a happy family. Why do we got to have so many kids? You know, it's like your kids are on your last nerve. And it's like, my soul, I wish I didn't have. I never do that. But, you know, it's like, <laughs> why did I have kids? Like, is that what God's doing? No. What we see here is a thing called an anthropomorphism. Now, that's a big word. I'm not usually a guy that uses big words, but here's what that word means. An anthropomorphism is when God appears to us or manifests himself to us in human form or even attributes to himself human characteristics. We see this all over the Bible, and rightly so. After all, we cannot ascend to where God is, but he can descend to where we are. What that, that word, that big word anthropomorphism, it, it basically is it, it's ascribing human emotions to God so that we, his people, can see who God is. So that we can see that God is not this impersonal force, but God is, is grieved by our sin. It, it, we see the same thing in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Isaiah the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Now let me ask you a question. Does God get weary? Are there burdens too big for God to lift? No. No is the right answer. Just in case you're like, maybe? I don't trick question. No. No is the right. There's not a burden too big for God where it's like, hey, God, can you let, like, helping a friend move, right? This past, hey, God, can you get the safe? It's like, sure, I can get that. Like, it's really, it's not too big? No, it's not too big for God, right? It, but it, it goes on. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You see, what we see here is he's using, uh, the author again here in Isaiah is using human emotion to describe what is, what, what, what is happening with God when we sin. We grieve the heart of God with our sins. And, and in this passage, what we see here is these people, they're, they're going out, they're living however they want to live throughout the week. And then when they come together to worship, when they come together to the temple, they, they worship with hands held high, the hands that are full of blood, doing things that God would not have them do, living in sin. Their hands are, are raised high, worshiping God, singing at the top of their lungs, looking joyful, taking communion, which represents the body broken for you, the blood spilled out for you on behalf of your sins, taking communion, saying, yes, I agree with that, you are my Lord, while living contrary to that every day outside of this context. And God says, I am weary of that. Your sins are weary to me. We see a God who passionately hates sin. And yet at the same time, when we're talking about the introduction of God, what we see in this passage is not, I think sometimes when we think of the God of the Old Testament, we see a God who's just like boom, 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 like stomping on everybody and just wrathful. And it's like, no, oh, you don't want to, don't wake that God up in the morning, right? Because he might just boom, just clock you, right? You wake him up like, like that or something. Like that, we think of God like that in the Old Testament. And yet what do we see here? Why does the flood happen? We see a God who is grieved by what he sees. We see a God who, who is he's so 
he's grieved because he, he created something beautiful for his people to thrive within. And they have chosen something else. It grieved the heart of God. Our sins grieve the heart of God. And so we see God's plan. But before that, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Keep going. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We see in the midst of this culture, in the midst of, of every thought, every, every inclination of the heart of man during this time is corrupt and it is evil. And they are calling things that God calls evil, they're calling them good. And they're deciding what their own good is. They're, it's the same sin of Adam and Eve. They're looking at things and saying, well, how can that be bad? If that feels so good, how can that be bad if that looks so good? How can that be bad if all these different things? And it grieves the heart of God, and yet Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah was righteous in the eyes of God. Now the question is, was Noah sinless? The answer is no. Noah's not God. Noah's not Jesus. But in comparison to his culture, we see Noah desiring to walk with God. What does that mean? Noah was walking with God. The, the, the easiest illustration I was thinking of was like when my wife and I got married, like, I don't know, seven, eight, 16 years ago, something like that. When, when we got married, uh, you can ask her. When we got married, when I stood before the, the pastor at the front of the church, before all our friends and family, and when I said yes to her, what I was doing was I was saying, I am tying myself to you, right? From here on out, you are mine, I am yours. Where I go, you go. Where you go, I go. We are, we are together. Our lives are joined. No matter what happens to us from this time forward, I am with you, baby. Best choice I ever made, right? She's not even here. I'm just saying that because it's true. I'm not trying to get brownie points. Best choice I ever made, and I, I'm with you. And, and what I was doing was effectively saying no to everybody else. All the other choices on this whole entire earth, I was saying, no, 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 all, all of that, no, 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 and yes to you. And see, I believe what, what this is talking about with Noah, especially in this day and age when everybody was going their own way, Noah was saying, I'm not, I'm not following you guys, I'm following God. I'm not calling things that should not be normal, I'm not calling them normal. These, these demons having sex with people, if that's what happened, or the line of Cain and the line of Seth coming together and, and devolving like that, that's not normal, and I'm not going to call it normal. I'm going to follow what God says is good. I'm going to walk with God. Right? That's what we see here, and, 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 and yet Noah found favor with God. I believe that when we say yes to God, and when we say, God, I want to follow you, I am with you, where you go, I go, even when I don't do that perfectly because we are not perfect, we find favor with God. And so we see Noah finding favor with God. If, if God tells Noah what his plans are. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Stop there. 
Now, if you're Noah, all right, put yourself in Noah's position in his cultural climate. Everybody is going their own way. They're all doing their own things, and yet, and yet you are trying desperately to walk with God. You are trying desperately to align yourself with God, and then all of a sudden, one day, God speaks. And we don't know how often God speaks in this. We don't, we don't have any recorded uh, messages from God for o- almost 1,000 years. That's a long time. And yet one day God speaks, and God tells Noah, he says, my heart, I, I am, I'm done with the earth. I'm done with all the people on the earth. I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to wipe everybody out. If you were Noah and that was the end of the message, it would be like, Okay, like why, why are you telling me, right? Why, why couldn't you just send the flood and, and I just wouldn't have known and ignorance is bliss, I guess. Like what, if that was the end, what, why would he have, what would you think if, if you were Noah? That would be a pretty cruel God, wouldn't it? To just be like, hey, what's up? I'm going to kill you and everybody you know. Have a great day. <laughs> and yet that's not what happened. That's not where the message stops. Verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And he goes on and he, he describes the, the length and the breadth and the height and all these different things. And, and you can read it and you can try and figure out how big it is and all of that stuff. But what I want you to see, and then he, he says, all right, fill it with, with two of every kind of, of animal and seven of every clean and seven of the birds of the air. And there's reasons for that, uh, partially because when they get off, which next week we're going to talk about, one of the first things they did was they sacrificed to God. So they had to have more clean animals to sacrifice to God. Again, that's a whole nother sermon. But what we see in this is that God doesn't just stop by declaring judgment. God doesn't just stop by saying, look, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to kill everybody. He doesn't stop there. God passionately hates sin. He is not a passive parent. There will be an end date where judgment will come upon the earth. But what he says in the midst of his declaration, he says, but I am providing a way of salvation. Amen? He says, this is going to happen. So what I want you to do is I want you to build an ark. I want you to build a, a thing that will, that will carry you. I am going to provide for you plans that I am going to save you from me. I am going to save you from my wrath. I'm going to save you from my judgment. I am going to save you. And we see in the midst of this God's love for sinners. Amen? We see God's love for sinners because, because he, he provided it. There wasn't anything. Noah would have just been about his day until the waters came. But God reached out to Noah. God gave him the plans. God gave him the boat. God gave him the way of salvation. And there was only one boat, only one ark. We, we go on, if you, if you read, and we're just going to kind of hit a few places in chapter 7. But it says in verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. And then in verse 1 of chapter 7, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. He goes on and he says, Take all the animals with you, fill it up. And then, then in verse 15 says, They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Isn't that amazing? I'm sure you've heard that before. 
But the impact, I think, gets lost on us because we see it as a children's story and nothing more. We don't see the impact of sin. We don't see the fact that that God requires judgment. Why? Because he is a good judge. He's not a passive parent because he is a good judge. Like if you think about, I'm I'm sure you've heard illustrations over and over and over again. uh, The fact that like if, if somebody came into my home and did the most terrible, destructive thing to my family, you can fill in the blank. And yet, then, then they were caught, and they, they came before the judge. And the judge said, you know what? I'm feeling very grace-filled today. You know what? I'm feeling kind today. I had a great breakfast. I hot pancakes. I am in a good place. And so, you know what? I'm sure you didn't mean it. So, go with God. Would that be justice? No. Can you imagine if you were in that courtroom and your family had just been defiled or destroyed and the judge said that? Would you want justice? Would you want justice for what had happened to you? Because that is unjust. When the laws of God are broken, that is unjust. It's not just wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, that's fine. No, we are sinful people who have sinned against the holy God. And he is a just God, and he will give justice, and yet he is a loving father who even in the midst of his justice and judgment, he he gives grace to his children. He shut them in. He brought them into the ark. And yet the reality is as you go on from there, it says, I mean, you can can read it later, but all throughout the, the last part into 24, into the last part of the chapter, over and over again, we see the water comes. It rises, it prevails against the earth. Uh, at one point it says that uh, uh, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. 15 cubits, that was about 23 feet deep. Now if you like dive into, like our neighborhood pool, I think it's like eight feet deep. When I go to the bottom of that, it's like, man, I don't like being down here. My ears pop, right? I mean, can you have 23 feet? And over and over again, it says everything with air in their nostrils was blotted out. See, everything God's judgment prevailed against. There was no other way. There was no other boat. There might have been other boats, actually. There might have been other boats. We don't know. We don't know the the climate of of this situation, where Noah was staying, like what the, maybe there was fishing boats. Maybe there were people that as Noah was, was building the ark, which it took him a, hundred, a little over 100 years to build, and it says in 2 Peter that he was a preacher of righteousness. It says that, that as, as we see that, that Noah is building the ark as he's preaching righteousness to those around him, as, as he's, it seems as though God's grace would say he didn't just spring the flood on people. But he even then gave them opportunities to respond to what was going to happen. Over and over and over again, we see God's grace to his people, his love for sinners in the midst of his hatred for sin. And yet there, there might have been, let's just, let's just be creative for a second. There might have been people who is like, you know, Noah's kind of crazy. I don't know if I would go that far. But I should pro- maybe I should probably keep a little boat in the backyard with some dried food in it. Maybe I'll get two dogs. Like, I don't want to get two of everything. That's kind of crazy, right? But maybe two of something. And I'll put them on, the, on my little boat. Or maybe, maybe there was this, this, the people that were close to Noah, and they had heard his message. They, seen him, they, they saw him building an ark, 
And when the, when the rain started going, they're like, oh, man, Noah was right. And can you imagine as the door shut and as that 120 years came to an end, I don't know, the first thing they might have thought was, let's get to the highest mountain we can. And yet the highest mountain that they know of was covered 23 feet deep by water. Water prevailed over the earth. God's judgment prevailed over sin. And yet in the midst of God's judgment, it says that as the waters prevailed against the earth, it lifted, it bore up the ark. As God's judgment bore down on earth, God's judgment bore up the ark that saved Noah and his family. Everything on earth that had breath in its nostrils was blotted out except for Noah and his family and all the animals on the ark. Everything was prevailed against except for Noah and the ark that God had provided. Isn't that a beautiful thing? See, what we see in the midst of this story is that God hates sin passionately, and yet God passionately loves sinners. You see, we can't, I, I think what we try and do after, after thinking through this, what we try and do again, it's, this is a difficult teaching. It's difficult to, to understand why would God do this. It's difficult to, to take this in. And so what we want to do is we want to try and create other opportunities. Well, maybe there's other ways. Maybe there's other, other ways of salvation because this just seems too hard. Just seems too hard to, to comprehend. It seems too hard to get. And so let's, let's create something different. And yet the, the reality, that as we try and sanitize the story, as we try and make our sin less than it is, as we try and say, well, God overreacts, as we try and say, well, my sin isn't that bad, as we try and say, well, well these things that I call normal, you know, this is why I do this and this is why I respond in this way. As we go about this, the reality is, is that we forget the passionate love of God in the midst of this when we only focus on the judgment of God. Over and over again in Scripture, we see, I, I, said, I said earlier that this is the second most wrathful thing that God did in human history. The first we see in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Isaiah the prophet says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the punishment of us all. The most wrathful thing that God has ever done is give his son to be crushed by the punishment for our sin. Why? Because Matthew 24, 37 through 39 says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, the reality of our situation is that God has laid our punishment on his Son. That God in his judgment has provided salvation for us. And yet there will be a time of final judgment. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew. There will be a time where the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus, comes back not as a suffering servant, but as the conquering king. And he says it will be like the days of Noah where they just, it just comes. And, and maybe some people are unaware and, and it, just, it just wipes them away. But the reality of the situation is in Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, we see this. But God 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And even, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Guys, sin will not be allowed to last forever. My question for you this morning is, do you see your sin in this way? Do you see your sin in ways that maybe things in your life that should not be called normal have, been, have become normal? In the, in the same way that the days of Noah, things that you have allowed to happen in your life, they've just become normal. And yet they were never meant to be normal. You, you maybe are calling things good that God says, no, that's evil. That's actually going to hurt you and destroy you, and it will lead you to death and destruction. Do you see your sin in that way? Do you look and you determine what is right for yourself? See, your sins demand payment, but the reality is we can see ourselves in the way that God sees us. That God passionately loves us and he loves us so much that he gave Jesus to pay the price for our sin. Amen? In the same way that he, there was one ark given, one way provided for God, born up by the judgment of God, his son was born up and the judgment of God was poured out on him and now we can have life when we find ourselves in him so this morning i want to ask you are you in christ have you experienced that love that god has for us i want to i want to pray for us because we we do we have baptisms we're going to celebrate that new life that we see and we're going to get an opportunity to take communion but i do want to just say if if you're in here and you're in a place where you're still in your sin don't leave this place without experiencing the love of god don't leave this place without confessing. Don't leave this place without talking to someone. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you love us. God, I pray that, that as we look through these passages, God, that we would not just see your judgment, but God, we would see your love. God, I pray that you would help us to see the reality that you do hate sin and sin is serious. But God, you are passionately in love with us, your people. So God, I pray that you would help us to respond. And it's in your name, amen.